Let's uh, get into the Word of God this morning. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 38. We've been uh, having, a, having a quite interesting series talking about unexpected heroes. Uh, and uh, this is our sixth one and the last one in the series. And we have been talking about unexpected heroes in the Scriptures. And my goal in this series has been to let you know that... Um, you are not insignificant in God's big scheme of things. There's not an insignificant person on the planet. There's no such thing. There's not a person in this room that is an incident, that's an accident, uh, that is somebody that's just a happenstance, that uh, you're just here and you don't know why you're here. Well, God knows why you're here. And God has every single person on this planet for a reason and for his kingdom. And boy, those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal savior and have turned ourselves over to him and trust him day to day in our life, God wants to use us. And so uh, we're going to read a passage of scripture. Now, I'm gonna read most of this and I'm gonna ask you to read just verses 15 to 18 of the next chapter, chapter number 39. I have to give you some reading because it makes no sense. The sermon makes no sense without a little background. So stand to your feet if you would. And I wanna talk to you about a man by the name of Ebed-Melech. How many of you ever heard a sermon about Ebed-Melech before? Anybody? I see one, two. Okay, I want the date, the time, the preacher, who did it? I have never heard a sermon on the man Ebed-Melech in my life. And, uh, but uh, I, I was looking through and Pastor Matt and I were looking through, we were talking about people in the Bible and what God did with people. And we came upon Ebed-Melech and we said, we, we've got to do that one because uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a wonderful, wonderful example of how God uses people. So I want you to listen. I'm going to read this passage. A lot of names in here, kind of funny. I'm going to read through verse 13 and then we're going to flip to chapter 39, and you're going to read verses, you're going to join me and read verses 15 through 18. So let's listen to the word of God. The Bible says, give attention to the public reading of God's word. That's what he told Timothy. That's what we're doing this morning. Now let me read. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Mal Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all of the people, saying, this is what Jeremiah said. Thus says the Lord, he who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, but he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him and he shall live. The Lord, thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore, the princes said to the king, please let this man be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Then Zedekiah, the king said, look, he is in your hand for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Now, Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon when the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin. Ebedmelech went, went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, 
My Lord, the king, these men have done evil in all they have done to Jeremiah, the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian saying, take from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went to the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so, so they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Now jump to chapter 39, verse number 15. The words should be on the screen, and let's read these words together to see what the outcome of the man Ebedmelech was. Meanwhile, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying... Go and speak to Ebedmelech the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men whom, of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. What a phrase. Your life's going to be a prize to you because you have put your trust in me. Whew. It's better to trust in the Lord than trust in men. You know that? Better to trust in the Lord than trust in horses, the Bible says. In other words, better to trust in the Lord than trust in armaments. Better to trust in the Lord. He is our God and he is faithful. Ebed-Melech. Let's talk about him. Father, help us this morning as we study your word together. And I pray, Father, you'd anoint the one preaching, anoint those that are hearing, and help us to be encouraged. Lord, encourage us wildly this morning with your word. This is Father's Day, and I pray that every father not see himself as just a mule going back and forth to work and providing for the family, Lord, but somebody that you you care about and you use. I pray for every mother. I pray for every young person. I pray for everybody in the room. I pray for all of us to understand, Lord, that, um, that we're all prototypes, that you made us on purpose for your purpose. And I pray that we would live that way in confidence that we matter. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If I, want you, if I could get you to go home with one thought in your mind this morning, and that is this, I matter to God. And boy, that is so very important. Well, God had some bad news for Judah. Jeremiah is a bad news, good news sort of a prophet. He's sometimes called a reluctant prophet, sometimes a weeping prophet. Sometimes in the scripture, he's called the lonely prophet because he was told in chapter 16, verse 2, do not marry. Well, he's a weeping prophet. He had good reason to weep because his nation and people were going to finally receive the judgment that the prophets had been warning of for hundreds of years. Time's up. Delay's over. Uh, it's going to happen right now, and it's going to happen shortly. So he should weep. 
He personally was mistreated and threatened and abused in every conceivable way by the people, but Jeremiah just kept serving. He had been called to prophesy. And folks, there was no way that what he had been told to tell the people, there was no way to take that message and put a smiley face on it. Um, I love to be positive, encouraging, helpful, and uplifting. And I'm sure Jeremiah loved the news that he was going to share with the people of chapter 30 through 33. He loved that message better than the other 48 chapters of his book. Four chapters, positive promises and uplifting. 48 chapters, you better repent. You better obey. You better get right with God. Amazing. And so God had a lot to say to him in chapter 7, 27. He said this, you shall speak these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. You shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Here's what it says. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. Is there an attack on anything greater than truth today? So Jeremiah did what God told him to do. He preached, prophesied, and warned. He did it faithfully. What happened to him? He suffered for it. In chapter 20, he was beaten and put in stocks in public view. In chapter 26, they wanted to kill the messenger. They said he must die. In chapter 36, he was at another king, the king of the moment at that time. He was at, that, at their house. That king took the book of his prophecy, sliced it up in pieces, and threw it in the fire. Now we come to this man, Zedekiah, in chapter 38. He was the last king, get this in your mind. Now, he was the last king of Judah before they fell, before the city of Jerusalem fell. That was 587 B.C. It was actually destroyed and raised in 586 B.C. This Zedekiah was a sniveling worm of a man. He was always vacillating in his decisions. Even in the passage we just read, it seemed like whoever he was speaking with last was the one that he was influenced by. In other words, whoever came to talk to him, like, oh, yeah, well, you got a point, so we better do. In other words, he had no personal convictions. He, had, he didn't have any backbone. Oh, I wish that God would give us a generation of men that would just stand up straight, bow their neck, and believe what is right and act that way. Men. Amazing. This man, Zedekiah, sometimes sought Jeremiah's counsel. Sometimes he sought his prayer. Sometimes he put him in prison. Sometimes he let him out. And it was always because of the last person who spoke to him very quickly about Jeremiah. We find Jeremiah accused of treason, beaten again, and imprisoned in a house converted into a jail in chapter number 37. He is suffering with all of the people because of the siege of the Babylonians. Now, when it says Chaldeans, that's the language they speak. When it says Babylonians, that's the political entity that they represent. So the Chaldeans and the Babylonians are really the same people. So we find Jeremiah accused of treason. And so they put him in jail and he's shut up there and he has a little food to eat. And then Zedekiah called for him to see if God had changed his mind about anything and the and Jeremiah says, no, God's not changed his mind at all. He's going to do what he said he was going to do. Time's up. Jeremiah asked not to be returned to the dungeon at Jonathan the scribe's house. That's interesting, isn't it? A scribe, one of the religious crowd, is the one that had a place and made a prison and locked up Jeremiah. He was moved to the court of the guard's house. And since people could come and see him behind a fence, he just kept prophesying. Boy, that takes courage, doesn't it? You're already suffering. You've been beat, put in stocks, ridiculed. They're starving you to death. 
But God told you, you just keep speaking. So here he is behind the bars as people pass by in the court of the guard's house and people pass by and he keeps prophesying. It gets worse. The princes read rich lords. The princes were furious with Jeremiah because he would not shut up. They convinced the king to let him be put in another prison, this time under the court of the guardhouse in a cistern, a pit that normally holds water, but this pit was dry and only had mud in the bottom of it, a layer of mud, and they intended to shut Jeremiah up for good. Now, somebody's saying by now, you're talking about Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. What about Abedmelech? Isn't this sermon about Abedmelech? I'm getting there. Just hold, hold on. He's next. So Jeremiah is God's weeping, suffering prophet. He is in dire need. Get the picture. He's emaciated by the famine from the beatings, from all manner of ill treatment. Now then he's at the bottom of a cistern. He is thirsty, starving, facing death. Now what? Is this it? Is God going to abandon him? <laughs> God's not done with Jeremiah. No, not yet. And I'm going to tell you something. We find out that God really is in charge and that God has his people and he raises up people for such a time as this. Just a little by, byline. Uh, nobody dies until God's done with them. I just want you to know that. God is in charge of all of those things. We've been looking at these people. God had, an, God had Esther rise to be queen right on time. God placed Naaman's maid to intervene for Naaman right on time. God brought Ruth from Moab to serve and obey and continue the messianic line at just the right time. God used Epaphroditus to supply the apostle Paul in jail just when he needed him most. And God had some lepers, and Andrew did a wonderful job last week on this. God had some lepers. They were used up, contaminated, disease-ridden, rejected outcasts who had one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. I mean, these people, they were almost done. They were almost gone, but God used them to bring good news to everybody just in time. There was a rich supply of food and drink there for everyone to take that would just believe and go out and take it. And folks, I just can't help myself. We as believers have some good news for hungry souls, don't we? We really do. Is anybody thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why do you spend money on food that does not give strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love. I promise to David, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. We got good news to share. That's way back. That's the gospel of Isaiah. I call it the sixth gospel, the gospel of Isaiah. And he's just saying, come. God, the Lord is always saying, come. You know, we get in our mind that only certain people can effectively give out the gospel, the good news. Well, the effectiveness of our message depends upon the truth we share, not the expertise of the one sharing it. Our, our gospel, the Bible says, the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The key is just telling it. Now we meet this man 
Ebedmelech. Let's talk about him. We know all about Jeremiah, but there's somebody in the background. We don't know so much about him, and he came on the scene for a brief moment. And there are many people in the Bible like this. There's many people in life like this. Jeremiah could keep on with his prophecy because of the work and the ministry of this man, Ebedmelech. Now, I want to just say to all of the men here, take note. In fact, I want to say to everybody in the room, take note. Jeremiah needed Ebedmelech to make his ministry possible. There are always people like Epaphroditus for the Apostle Paul and Ebedmelech for the prophet Jeremiah. God always has his people who, like Aaron and Hur, are holding up the hands of those that are doing the work and that are doing the actual ministry. Not everybody is Jeremiah, not everybody's Isaiah, not everybody is Moses, not everybody is the Apostle Paul. But behind all of those people, there were tons of people like Ebedmelech. Well, now let's look at your sheet there, write down a couple of things. Who was this Ebedmelech? A slave. He was a slave. And his name means this. Ebedmelech means the king's slave. What were his duties? Well, they were assigned to him. He had no will of his own. So there was a famine going on and he wasn't doing any better than anybody else was. He was enduring the same scarcity and he was a slave. And as a slave, he had no rights, no recourse, no refuge from what was going on around him. You know, there's this, there's this thought in our, in, our, uh, in our Christianity today that when the world is suffering, Christians won't suffer. I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible teaches. You, you know, the Bible says all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer. And they're going to suffer specific persecution. He was a slave. What else was he? He was a foreigner. This is unlikely. He was a foreigner. He was from Ethiopia. Somewhere along the line, whether in the spoils of war or through slave trading, this man found himself in Judah. He's serving in some capacity at the palace. As a slave, he was dispensable. In this time of crisis, his well-being and provision was not priority He would have been dispensable. What else about this man? Well, he was a slave, he was a foreigner, and he was a eunuch. Most all of the men that served kings in that time, all through the Old Testament, were eunuchs. They had gone through a degrading and painful procedure to ensure that they could never have any interest of making family plans of their own. They were stripped of personal ambition and made to stand ready for service at all time. There were some eunuchs of note, such as the eunuch uh, to Candace the queen in Acts chapter 8. And uh, the, many people believe that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were in Babylon, because they were going to stand before the king, may have gone through that same thing. That's not, we don't know that for a fact, but many think that that's a possibility. He was a eunuch. So who was this man? Well, he was a slave. He didn't have any rights. He was a foreigner. Uh, he really didn't have any interest because it wasn't his, wasn't his, I mean, if the place falls, it's not his history, his family. And he was a eunuch. He had been degraded. He had been demoralized. He had been treated this way. What did Ebedmelech do? Why, why are we stopping to look at this man today? Why are we looking at him? Well, the first thing I'd like you to see is he remained alert. He wasn't sleepwalking through life. You know, many, many of us guys, we, we have a habit of putting our nose to the grindstone and wearing blinders like this, and sometimes we don't even look up to see what's happening around us, to see the people that God is bringing us in contact with in our life. This man had every reason to be moaning and groaning, but he did not do that. He, he was alert. As he went about his duties, he knew what was going on in, with Jeremiah. No doubt he had heard some of him. He could walk by that place where the, he was in a cage, so to speak, 
He had heard his prophecies, and as a true prophet of God, every single thing Jeremiah said came to pass. You know, that was the qualification for an Old Testament prophet. When they made a prophecy about something that was going to happen, they had to bat a thousand. They had to get it right every time. If not, they were not God's prophet. Boy, that sure shuts the mouths of a lot of modern-day prophets, doesn't it? So prophets, and it all came to pass. Now, he knew Jeremiah was a man of God, but what could he do? Uh, what he did was this, he paid attention to what was happening. You know, we can do that with the people around us, with what's going on. I was disheartened greatly by the three to three vote this week, having to do with the abortion situation here in Iowa. It was heartbreaking. Um, you have to be alert, have to be alert to what's going on. What else did he do? He spoke up to the king. Boy, this was something. Look at verse number eight. It says, and Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king saying, my Lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah, the prophet whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is likely to die from the hunger in the place where he is for there is no more bread in the city. So he spoke up to the king. You know, at least when Esther went into Xerxes' presence, she was the queen. But Ebed-Melech is a foreign eunuch. And this Zedekiah is no Xerxes. Zedekiah is sitting at the Benjamin gate and he's at the, probably at the moments of greatest stress in his entire life. He's in terrible stress. And so he was dealing with Babylon's army on the outside of the walls and he was dealing with starving masses on the inside of the wall. But nevertheless, he bed Melech, stepped up, stood up and spoke up for Jeremiah. He stepped up, stood up and spoke up. Are we... Are we alert to what's going on around us and do we care what's happening, even with our Christian brothers? And he knew Jeremiah was unjustly treated and he was in danger of dying of starvation or exposure or some disease down there in that pit. He, they intended to just forget about him and let him die down in that pit. Well, this man decided to speak up and he decided to help him. Uh, he, he decided to do something about it. You know, sometimes we just ought to help. You know, sometimes we just ought to help people. Do you know people that are suffering, going through things, that are having a hardship, or they are being unjustly treated? We ought to just help. He rescued Jeremiah, verses 10 to 13. Zedekiah, once again, he was influenced by the last person that spoke to him. He gave Ebed, Ebed-Melech the job of getting Jeremiah out. So the, the people who spoke to him before were the princes, and they said, hey, we need, just need to kill him. Let's throw him in the pit. Okay, let's do that. And then Ebed-Melech comes along and he says, Zedekiah, that's not right. And these, they're mistreated. He is being totally and unjustly treated. We've got to get him out of that pit. Okay, take 30 men and pull him out. I mean, this Zedekiah, how would you like to have that as your person that's leading you? Like this, weather vane. Wait a minute, that seems like the world we live in. Okay, let me go on. So Zedekiah, here's what he did. So Jeremiah wasn't just in prison. You've heard this before. Somebody's going to get arrested or get thrown under the prison. You know where he was thrown? Under the prison. He was in a pit under the courtyard of the prison. He was under the prison. It sounded like there was no hope. Folks, I just want to tell you something. With God involved, there is never a hopeless situation. It wasn't hopeless because God was there. 30 men, he was going to have to fight his way past the guards. I don't know. Was he able to communicate to his companions and devise a plan to rescue Jeremiah? I don't know. There were 30 men. They used ropes. He had been let down with ropes. He needed to be lifted out with ropes. You know, in life, sometimes we just need to extend a rope Amen. to people that are hurting. Ropes, 
Stand some help. 30 men, ropes, rags. I, I, I got a... I had to really stop and think about that one. The rags, what were the rags about? Jeremiah had been repeatedly beaten. He had nearly starved to death. His body was racked with pain. He did not need to be jerked up. He needed to be gently lifted up. Sometimes people get themselves today into bad situations and serious trouble. They need to be lifted up gently, not jerked up and add pain to the problems they're already in. People do get in pits in life. Now, here's an unexpected hero. Jonathan, the scribe, who should have been concerned for the prophet, had joined in on the persecution, and he offered his own home as a jail to hold Jeremiah in. But who was the hero? Nope, not a scribe, not one of those people. No, it was a foreign eunuch. This slave is the hero of the moment because he cared, and he stood up, and he acted, and he rescued Jeremiah. God had him in the place he needed him for the time he needed him. God had him in the place he needed him for the time he needed him. Boy, this has so many implications and applications in our life. What should we do about it? Well, it's Father's Day. I want to celebrate fatherhood with all of you. Uh, Matt alluded to this just a moment ago. He said, in our culture, our culture's down on manhood to a degree, but I'm here to share with you this morning that God is still looking for men. He's still looking for men who will stand in the gap, make up the hedge for God and for the people. That's Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. God is always looking for somebody. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 16 and verse 9 says that God is always searching for that man whose heart is loyal to him. He's always looking for men. He's all, not always looking for a prophet, not always looking for a preacher, not always looking for an evangelist, not always looking for a missionary. He is always looking for men, men to stand up. I asked the Lord when I came back from Peru to be the pastor of the church, Lord, give me a a privilege and an opportunity to have men be a great group and, a, and participants in the church. And a few moments ago when I looked around and I saw all the, just the fathers in the room, I said to Bonnie as you were standing, I said, thank God we have a church full of men. Thank the Lord. So what should we do? What should we do? Well, People are always the answer to any problem, and God uses people. And if we've learned anything in our Unexpected Heroes series, we have learned that God is sovereign. He has his people, and when they are available to him, he works through them. He has his people. He has his women like Esther and like the maid at Naaman's house and like Ruth. And he has Epaphroditus who risked his life and went through all sorts of difficulty to help the man of God, Paul, when he was in jail. And then we have the lepers who were, for all practical purposes, they were useless to society and outcasts and couldn't offer anything. But even the lepers could deliver the good news. And so now we have Ebedmelech. I want you to just think about a few things and just write down a couple of notes here. First of all, everyday heroes stay awake, alert, and available. You've heard me use that trio of words before, but I can't, I can't emphasize it enough. 
We can't sleepwalk through life. We can't just do our own thing and ignore the world around us, ignore those that are suffering, those that are hurting. We cannot ignore those that are lost that do not know the gospel. We just cannot. We cannot allow that to happen. So we're awake and we're alert and we're available and we have to do this. And this may be the most important point that I I said earlier. You matter. You matter to God. You matter to God for his kingdom. So here's what I'd like to say to you. You need to assume God has you where he wants you and assume that God has made you like you are for a particular purpose. It's okay to be you. Let me say that again. It is okay to be you. Now, we grow in grace, we grow in knowledge, we grow spiritually, we put down spiritual roots and we begin to bear fruit. But that doesn't make you somebody that you're not. And God has you where you are. Guess what? Pastor Andrew is probably not going to be every place that you are. Our elders in our church, like Bill Borseth, he's not going to be everywhere that you are. I'm not going to be everywhere that you are. Brother Philip's going to be, I'm not going to be with you, Philip, this week. You're going to be going up there or coming up soon, going up South Dakota. I'm not going to be with you. He's going to be somewhere where I'm not going to. I'm not going to be everywhere. It's impossible. Every one of you matter. Every one of you is a life on purpose. Every, every, how many of you name the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Just raise your hand up. All right, all hands in the air are people, all hands in the air are people that God knows all about. Your location isn't a mistake. Your equipment isn't a mistake. Your connections are not a mistake. Your relationships are not a mistake. None of those things are a mistake. I mean, only God could get Queen Esther in position. You understand that? I mean, only God could get Naaman's maid in position. Only God could take Ruth, a Moabitess, who was forbidden to enter into the temple for 10 generations being a Moabite. Only God could bring it about at the right time. You see, God knows where you are, who you are, what you're like. And you know what? He's been, if you're alert and awake, and available, you're just the person he needs for the people of your life. Assume God has you where you are. Assume God has made you like you are. Count on God to come through when we faithfully offer ourselves to him. So we look around, we see where God is working, where needs are rising, and then we step up and we speak up, be a AAA Christian. Everyday heroes are also salt and light. Bedmelech saw the injustice being done to Jeremiah. He just didn't let it pass and say, oh, well, not my problem. No, he did what he could. I, uh, I, I, I love the story of Mary when she was being criticized for pouring out the ointment. And she, Jesus said in defense of her, she has done what she could. God's not asking anybody to do what you can't. He's asking you to do what you can God doesn't ask anybody to be somebody they're not. He asks you to be who you are and who he made you. God doesn't ask anybody to just go overboard and just, you know, acquire abilities and character traits that you never had to become somebody else. So that you can, no, no, no. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need two of me. He doesn't need two of Jonathan. He doesn't need, no, no. He, he needs every one of us and he has planned it. Everyday heroes are salt and light. And the next one, everyday heroes are ready to run the risk. You know, a lot of people think that's what life is about, trying to, trying to avoid risks. 
Ebed-Melech, like Esther, considered it a worse risk to do nothing. Too many of us just don't want to get involved. We're like the other kinsman redeemer in Ruth's story. We don't want to upset our own situation, so we just play safe. While we keep quiet, people live without Christ and they die to face a Christless eternity. Everyday heroes, this is a good one. Everyday heroes throw out a lifeline to those sinking in despair. Everyday heroes throw out a lifeline to those that are sinking in despair, whether it's the despair of sickness or the despair of finances or the despair of hurt or is the despair of sin and the consequences of it. We throw out a lifeline to them. They do it with care and compassion. I'm fascinated by the details of this story, including about his efforts to find old clothes and rags to pull Jeremiah up under the armpits. I wonder I wonder how we are received sometimes as believers. Are our efforts at rescue done with tenderness and compassion or are we further injuring people by shame and criticism? Pull them up gently. They speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Please pray with me. Will you pray for our state of Iowa and for the unborn? How many of you say, Pastor Phil, I, I'm going to, that's on my list today. At least one time today, I'm going to speak to my heavenly father. Up, I'm going to speak about the unborn. Will you raise your hand up? What does God do in this story? We read it in chapter 39, verse 15. Jeremiah gets rescued. Babylon destroys the city just like was prophesied. But what about Jeremiah? What about Ebedmelech? Verse 15 through 18, it says in verse 17, but I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid, for I will surely deliver you and you shall not fall by the sword. The first thing is, I want you to know that God recognizes our faith. When we step out by faith and try to make a difference and try to speak up and try to try to stand up for the Lord and try to speak up with the gospel, God recognizes our faith. The next thing he does is he rewards our faith and action. Faith isn't just something we talk about. Faith leads to action. Faith leads to making a move. Faith leads to extending a hand. Faith leads to put, you know, throwing out a lifeline. God recognizes our faith. God rewards our faith. And then I love this one of all, God rescues the rescuers. What? He rescues the rescuers. I can't help but see the fact that one day there's coming on this earth, planet earth, there's coming a tribulation, a great tribulation. And I mean, I mean, the Lord's coming in great power and glory and judgment's gonna fall on this earth. But I just, I just, I'm just so thankful that he hadn't appointed me to wrath, but he's gonna save me out of great tribulation. He's gonna deliver me before it happens. Why? Because I've been trying to be one of his rescuers and so have you. How many of you know Jesus as your savior? Well, things are gonna get bad, but you're gonna be taken out of this place before God's wrath hits this earth. Aren't you glad? Praise God, this man taken out, the Lord rescued him. You know, Ebed-Melech is like an Old Testament good Samaritan, isn't he? Did you see that? He's just, he's an Old Testament example of a good Samaritan. He did what he could to help the person in need. Let's wake up to the people who suffer wrong for doing right. Let's be alert and find ways of supporting, encouraging, and helping heal suffering saints. Let's be available for God to use, not fearing what might happen to us for associating with sufferers. Let's take a stand. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? 
Father, we have talked about six unexpected heroes and heroines in our, in our series here. There are many more in the scripture. But Lord, they're all over this church as well. People that are extending a hand, that are helping others, that are making up the gap, making up the hedge. Lord, helping. I want to thank you for every one of them. But Lord, what I want to say today to everybody that's here, and I pray that you would impress this upon them as we've seen the lives of all of these different six people, Lord, none of them are alike. None of them are prophets and preachers and evangelists and missionaries. All of them are people who you used amazingly because you knew who they were, you had them where you wanted them, and they were ready and available when you needed them. God, I pray that you would impress upon the minds of every person in the room today that names your name as Savior. I pray that they would understand, Lord, that you made them, they matter, and that you can use them for your kingdom and for your glory. Help us to not get discouraged in well-doing. Help us to not get weary and worn out. Help us to keep on because we're going to reap if we do not faint. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.